morning, everybody. Thank you, Becky and Lori. Uh, for this morning's message, inspired by our recent series of Dismantling Patriarchy, which has helped us to see the awesomeness and heroism of many of the women in our stories more clearly, uh, we're going to celebrate the superpowers of one such woman who's central to Advent. But to understand and sort of live into her superpower, we have to face our own reticence about Advent. Now you may think, I'm not reticent about Advent, this is an awesome time, we give each other gifts, there's lights, tinsel, glitter. But I think we've kind of misconstrued the nature of the gift of God that comes to us. We think of it like winning the divine lottery. Advent is <laughs> much more akin to God saying to humankind, my gift to you is a forever membership in my divine fitness club. Right? <laughs> the implication is clear, you're out of shape. Spiritually, culturally, socially, ethically, whatever. And the solution, yes, is coming to my wonderful, awesome place and I'll be there and it will be a blessing to you. But it'll cause a disruption to your schedule and it'll require a lot of effort on your part. The people in the time when Jesus came understood this better than you and me. So here is a list of some of the most prominent responses. How can I know that this will happen? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. Mary was much perplexed by his words. How can this be? For I am a virgin. Fear came over Elizabeth and Zacharias' neighbors. Mary wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a feeding trough in the barn because there was no room for him in the inn. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Joseph planned to divorce her quietly. King Herod was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. Herod was infuriated and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem. Now there are some other responses to God coming into the human community in this form of Jesus that are more happy celebratory, but this is by far the majority. This is the majority opinion about the meaningfulness, the majority response to the coming of God in this form into humanity, perplexity, confusion, a sense of intrusion and disruption. I don't understand how this is going to work. I don't want it. It's too complicated, too much, too threatening, too terrifying. No thank you, and when that doesn't work, I think I'll kill you. <laughs> right? So God all the time saying, each and every time, this is going to be a blessing, this is awesome, thumbs up, the best thing ever, a gift that I'm giving to humanity through you. <laughs> but then, you know, you think about, like, like, what is it like when you receive a gift? You know, you as a parent think this is a good idea. I'm going to give a gift to all the children, but sort of through you. You know, <clears throat> and you think, yeah, but if this requires so much, just give it to somebody else. I'll take the blessing, Sure. So the challenge then is how do we, how do you and I flip the script? God says this is awesome, 
your reaction and mine oftentimes to God coming into your life and mine is confusion, perplexity, disruption. Uh, how do we flip the script? How do we make God's voice more prominent? How does God's voice become the voice that is louder, that wins? That is what we base our emotions, beliefs, attitudes, and actions on. And so that's what we're going to find out about in this story. That's the superpower that you and I will encounter as a person central to this story who seems to be able to produce that. So, the first appearance of God. This comes from the story uh, as told by Luke. God sends God's angel to visit Zechariah. Zechariah, as we find out, the writer tells us, is a priest. So he is a religious person who's been doing the priestly thing for decades. He's kind of probably near retirement age. He's older, but he's been doing it really well, very faithfully. He's married to his wife, Elizabeth. She, too, seems to be a good person. They have a good marriage. They are good religious people, kind, upstanding, nothing bad to say about them. They have a sadness that attends them, however, and that is that they have not been able to have children. They would have wished this for themselves. It's not a sadness just because it hasn't happened, but in their day and age, in their culture, there would have been a certain amount of religious stigmatization that would have gone along with this. God, for some reason, chose not to bless them in this way. So we come into the story when Zechariah is doing his religious duties. He's in the temple doing, you know, religious things with incense and prayers and stuff like that. And then this happens. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of the incense. And seeing him, Zechariah was alarmed, and fear descended upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your supplication has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall declare his name to be John. And for you there will be joy and delight, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes, and he must not drink wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go forth in his presence in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and to turn the wayward to the wisdom of the upright to prepare a people made ready for the Lord. <laughs> that's a lot okay so there's a reason that people have children when they're young right because <laughs> children take a lot of energy children don't sleep at night you have to chase them around so we hear these words coming to Zechariah just with 2,000 years of storytelling and our focus on God and the awesomeness and the tinsel and the glitter and the loveliness of everything <laughs> but I'm channeling Zacharias, okay? So he and his wife have this sadness. They haven't been able to, to have children. But at this point, they're again, they're kind of near retirement. And some things happen when you get close to your elder years. The kids are gone. The busyness is gone. Life has a routine and a structure that's pretty pleasant. There's socialness to it, but there's a lot of downtime. You have a pretty structured routine day, a rhythm to it. You know, and for those of us with children and grandchildren, the blessedness of grandchildren is that you play with them and they tire you out, and then you send them back to mom and dad. <clears throat> and so I hear this from the point of view of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Yes, they have this sadness, but they also have a stable life. He's near retirement. 
And this angel comes and gives this announcement. It's just kind of pouring out, tumbling out. And very little of it is actually going to, aside from having a child, very little of it is actually going to be good and enjoyable for Zacharias. It's going to be super stressful. First of all, they're going to have a child past when that was supposed to be a thing. But then the nature of this child and what this child will do, it's going to be good for a whole lot of other people, but that's not going to come for a long time. And Zechariah would know what it would mean to parent a prophet. Life does not go well for prophets. Elijah, oh, this awesome towering figure amongst the Hebrew people, he was in trouble all the time. He was hounded by those who opposed him. He spoke unpleasant messages to people of power, right? And so not a happy way to live life for him or probably for his family. And so when Zechariah, this is what Zechariah said. Zechariah said to the angel, in what way shall I know this? For I am old and my wife is well advanced in her days. I hear him saying not just, yeah, how's this going to work biologically? But you got to be kidding me. <laughs> now, <laughs> right? <laughs> Couldn't you have done this 20 years ago? <clears throat> and in reply, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel who stand before the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and announce these good tidings to you. See then, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not trust my words, which will be fulfilled at the proper time. Okay. <laughs> so whatever you think of the punitive nature of the angel's response, right? It's like, really? Aren't you a little more mature than this? What the angel does is causes Zechariah to become silent. I'm going to Trust the angel on this one. He detects something in Zechariah's response that produces this consequence. And what's noteworthy about the consequence, again, we have the benefit of having read this story for centuries now. In the story, in this moment, there is no indication when Zechariah is going to be able to speak again. We don't, the angel says, when these things have been fulfilled, well, which things are you talking about? You just said a lot of things. And some of them are kind of long-term things, like when this child who's going to come to me is going to be an adult, or maybe beyond that. Zacharias has no idea when speech will come back to him, even if it'll come back to him in his lifetime. Right? So he goes forward carrying these dual realities, the angel saying, blessing, 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 awesomeness beyond awesomeness, but his own sense of disquiet and troubledness, and we have no idea where he lands because he can't talk. So we go then to encounter number two, very similar to number one, and this is with Mary. So the angel goes into her, hail favored one, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly distressed at his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And see, you will conceive in your womb and will bear a son, and you shall declare his name to be Jesus. This man will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob throughout the ages, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
And Mary said to the angel, how shall this be? As I have intimacy with no man. And in reply, the angel told her, a Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Oh, that helps. Hence, the offspring will be called holy also, a son of God. And look at your kinswoman, Elizabeth. She also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who had been called barren. Because nothing of all the things I have said is impossible with God. And Mary said, see, the slave of the Lord, may it happen as you have said. And the angel departed from her. And during those days, Mary went up in haste to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. So there are some differences in the details, right? Mary is a woman, Zacharias is a man, Mary is young, Zacharias is old. Uh, <laughs> the nature of how the parentage is going to work is a little bit different. Zacharias and Elizabeth, at least, is kind of straightforward. Mary, complicated. But her plight, her experience is going to be very similar to his. This message from God of blessing, God is coming into your life, the advent of God to you and through you into the human community is meant for awesomeness. But she experiences it as troubling. She goes in haste, so she too has a form of silence. She's not communicating about this to anyone. And all she knows is this means trouble beyond trouble. It's not even the relief from a kind of... Uh, uh, religious stigmatization. She's just going to be in trouble. She's going to have, con she's engaged to a man, she's going to have conceived a child, not from him. It's an illicit pregnancy. She knows that he'll leave her. Like, that's sort of a given. The story does tell us that he's going, his plan is to leave her kindly. He could publicly humiliate her. He's not going to do that. But she's going to be a single mother. And again, in this culture, the way this would have been understood, everybody would, you know, they would hear her story and think, yeah, we know what really happened. And it's going to be a mark against her and against her child and against her family forever. So God's saying, this is really awesome. And Mary's saying, yeah, I don't quite see that yet. So she goes into the home of Elizabeth. And Zacharias. And here's what happens. She went into the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with a Holy Spirit. And with a great cry, she called out and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed the fruit of your womb. And is this happening to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For look, as the sound of your greeting entered my ears, the baby in my womb leapt in joy. And how blissful she who has faith, for whom the Lord, for from the Lord will come fulfillment of what she has been told. And Mary said, my soul proclaims the Lord's greatness, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And her words tumble out in what's come to be known as the Magnificat, Mary's Magnificat, this grand statement of the awesomeness of God towards her 
And her anticipation of the amazing things that God will do in the world through the baby that's going to come out of her. How God is going to overturn unjust systems of power, benefit the poor, lay low those who are in power. But it begins with Elizabeth. Right? This story is remarkable. So we've heard lots of statements of awesomeness about God from angels. Elizabeth is the first one in the story, and so in the receiving of Jesus, who in this unadulterated way just declares the awesomeness of God. What God is doing is amazing. An uninhibited adulation, celebration of the goodness of God. Elizabeth is the first human in the story to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes into her first. The Spirit will come into John, will come into Zacharias, will come into Mary, but it begins with Elizabeth. Elizabeth has this deep, clear understanding of who God is, what God is doing, what is up, and why it is wonderful. And she is going to declare that. And it happens in a very particular, interesting way. There's this relational dynamic between John and Jesus that's quite remarkable. Right? So when John actually comes into power as an adult, he begins ministering in the countryside, baptizing, preaching. It's great. People think it's wonderful. They come in droves to him. Not just from the countryside, but from the seat of religious power, from Jerusalem. Citizens and the religious elite, Pharisees come to John saying, you're the most amazing thing ever. We see you in the mode of Elijah, of the prophets of old. We want to be baptized by you. We want to be identified with you, under you. We want to come into the thing that you're doing. But then Jesus is there too, at the same time. And so what the people anticipate is there's going to be competition who is going to win? Who's going to be most powerful? Who's going to have the most influence in how this plays out? They anticipate some sort of competition between them. But what John has been saying from the beginning, this strange, crazy thing, a part of his mantra is, you may think I'm special and important, but I am telling you that all I am doing is preparing the way for the one who's going to come who is way bigger, better than me who's way more amazing than me. He's going to come. His ministry is going to be amazing. I must become less so that he can become greater. When he shows up, he will be of a prominence that will mean that I wouldn't even be suitable to bow down before him and tie the laces on his shoes. It's this remarkable undoing of this deeply embedded feature of human relating that God is producing through Jesus in humankind. And it is manifested explicitly in the way that John and Jesus relate to each other. And so you think, wow, that's amazing. They're really impressive. They understood this. This is incredible. <laughs> but I think it begins here. I think it begins with Elizabeth. Now, I'm, you know, my wife and I are parents. I don't have the brain cells that encoded memories of my children anymore. Those are long gone. What it was like when they were young. <laughs> but as a grandparent, <laughs> I know, you know, that we're not supposed to compare our grandchildren with the grandchildren of other grandparents. They're all just wonderful and good and sort of equally lovely, even though ours are the best. 
right? But so then I hear Elizabeth, and here comes Mary to her, and Elizabeth just says, it's the most awesome thing in the world that the mother of my Lord has come to me. Right? Elizabeth understands from the get-go who is most prominent, who is going to have the bigger role, who's going to have more influence, who has more centrality, who is going to serve whom. She knows it from moment one. Your baby is going to be better than mine. You are the mother of the Lord of me, and I am so all in with that. That is just the best thing ever. I love it. I bless it, I see it, I know it, I get it. And so the whole picture of Elizabeth is of someone who leans into the awesomeness of God, the goodness of God, who celebrates it, delights in it, in a way that lets somebody else, in a way that flips the script for Mary. Mary can then say, yes, this is what is in me. Yes, I hear you. Yes, in this space, God's voice triumphs overcomes the troublingness, the intrusion, the disturbance, the difficulty, the confusion, the perplexity, all of it. <laughs> and then it happens again. <clears throat> so Elizabeth, three months later, has her baby. And as they're going to present the baby eight days later for naming and for um, circumcision, the story plays out like this. It happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the little child. And they, meaning those running the circumcision show, the religious authorities, so representing religion and tradition, they were calling the child by the name of his father, Zecharias. And speaking out, his mother said, no, he shall instead be called John. And they said to her, there's no one from your family who is called by this name, and this being the patriarchy, they gestured to his father, who, remember, can't talk, concerning what he might wish him to be called, and requesting a tablet he wrote, John is his name. So this little moment, the religious establishment, tradition, all of it coming to them, knowing that the baby has to be named after the father, or at least someone in the family, and it's Elizabeth who says, no. Now, we have no idea at this moment where Zechariah is at with this whole thing. He hasn't spoken for nine months. Is he excited about what God is doing? Is he sad? Is he dejected? Is he despondent? Is he mad? Is he resigned? Has he forgotten it? Is it too much trouble? Is it Elizabeth standing up for the agenda of God and the goodness of God that flips Zechariah? Right? But she stands there. She jumps into the fray in an arena where it was not her place to speak. And she says a thing that she was not supposed to say, no, we are doing this God's way. We are leaning into what God has spoken, into the blessedness, into the goodness of that. His name is John. <laughs> and maybe that's a moment for Zacharias. Yeah, we are going to do this, aren't we? It's interesting to think about what would have happened if that didn't play out, if they had let the naming go differently. Oh, I don't know. But she stands in. <clears throat> it says, John wrote, his name, John is his name, and all of them were amazed. And on the instant, his mouth and tongue were set free, and he spoke, blessing God. Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, 
Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, because he has visited his people and bought their liberation. So for him too, just like Mary, the intervention of Elizabeth flips him into the awesome goodness of God that supersedes all the trouble that being a bearer of that goodness in the world can bring to you and me. So I think for myself, I kind of want to inhabit both realities. I'd invite us into that this morning. On the one hand, I want to be like Elizabeth. I want to be one who can perceive what God has put in you, who can understand the totality of the picture, but who is invested in the long-term benefit, who gets that it is good and necessary and wonderful and life-giving, no matter how intrusive what God wants to say to you, do in you, through you, into the world, no matter how challenging that can be, I want to be one who perceives the goodness and helps you perceive that. I also want to be on the receiving end of this, right? I feel like there are all sorts of people who represent Elizabeth in my life, who see what God wants to do in me, through me, how God would transform me, how God would bring goodness into the world through me, through us, through this faith community, where I just want to say, that's too much trouble. My life is easy, predictable. The routine is really nice. I don't have the energy for that. I don't understand that. That's requiring a lot of me for the benefit of others. I want to be able to hear people saying, yeah, but it's so good. It's so wonderful. It's so awesome. It is how this has to happen for the goodness of God to come into the world through us. So as we shift to the rest of the service, I want to take just a moment for, to offer time for you to reflect on that, to see if any of that connects with you, if there's awareness of how this works in your life. So pray with me. So God, we bring ourselves to this moment. I'm so grateful for Elizabeth, for the possibility of seeing who she is, what she was like, what it was in her. Would you bring her superpower to us this morning, to our faith community, to each of us individually? Help each of us see where it is we could be like her to others. Help us see, too, where we might receive your voice coming to us, the voice of Elizabeth coming to us as you bring your goodness into our life and into the world through us. We give you this moment for that reflection, God. Amen.